Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, be that Apple Podcast, Blueberry, Podbay, Podbean, or Alexa via TuneIn. Uh, go to the website abouttreview.com for full links to the show notes and guests, and follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Joining me this week uh, via Skype due to some scheduling confusion and errors on my end, definitely not his. Joining me is Tim Hall, People's Critic. <laughs> hey, what's up, y'all? Good to be back on. Yeah, on a on a late night Skype call. Yeah, yeah, um, very late night. Not very late. Late for me. Late, yeah, again, yeah, late for you, but not for most, you know, humans. Uh, hey, Sundays are my self care day, so I try to I try to embrace it. Very true, very true. I I respect that. Uh, yeah, there were some scheduling uh, complications uh, this past couple weeks, and so uh, I'm very thankful that Tim was able to join me on on this episode, the last episode of Black History Month 2018. Uh, it is the shortest, coldest month of the year, but hey, we will take what we can get. One of the topics that we will be talking about on today's episode is the future of black Hollywood. So Tim and I each have a couple people on our list that we think are going to be doing some big things in the next you know, few years and in, in the future of black Hollywood. So we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be giving a review for two new movies that are in theaters right now, which are Annihilation and Red Sparrow. And then at the end of it, we'll wrap up with a little bit of pre-Oscars talk. So before we get into the episode, the other thing I want to mention real quick is the contest that is going on on Facebook.com slash About to Review. So you can enter the contest to win a copy of the new book from DK called Black Panther, The Ultimate Guide. The book is incredible. It is free to enter. So go to facebook.com slash about review. Check out the pinned post on how to enter for your chance to win that incredible book. So now we will get on to the show uh, after the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Okay, do you like how I completely nailed the intro? I did not slip up. I got everything on there in your face. It you know, you could you could just record an intro to do every week. You know, I thought about that, and you are definitely which will probably help with that. And you just drop have Damien drop it in, and if you had anything like a contest, you could just add that later, or or put that into your you know into this part of the show. Yeah, I I thought about that, and I know a lot of podcasts do that. Tim and I each listen to podcasts every day. Like, I yeah. seriously, not a day goes by where I'm not listening or creating a podcast. And I know a lot of podcasts have that pre-recorded thing. I just like the the organic nature of it. Uh, but yeah, it, it is something that crosses my mind 
pretty frequently. We will see uh, if that happens down the road. Okay, yeah. Uh, but for now, I crushed that intro. I'm giving myself a gold star for today. First topic of business. The future of Black Hollywood. <laughs> you know, just a little yeah. little thing. Uh, yeah. Because it is Black History Month, because I have been really trying to focus this month on highlighting some creators and friends and colleagues in the industry who have unique voices and unique projects, be it Chris Lamberth, David Crownson, Tim Hall, of course, Seven Okima Gun. Uh, in upcoming episodes, some of the unfortunate things that I was not able to schedule this week because they're both incredibly busy. But in the future episodes, uh, Jamie Brodnax of Black Girl Nerds and also April Rain from the creator of Oscars So White uh, campaign. So both of those women I have talked to, I wanted them on the show this month, but they're crazy busy. So the future of Black Hollywood is what we'll do for this week's episode for the last week of Black History Month. And this was Tim's idea, and it was a solid idea. When I was on the show a couple weeks ago, one thing that I talked about was not necessarily looking at the past in terms of black history, but looking towards the future as far as who are the people who are creating history right now and how do we celebrate them while they're alive and not waiting, you know, and, until 20, 20, 35 years to, to talk about all their accomplishments and how great they were. Mm-hmm. It's okay to celebrate them now. Absolutely. So it is a great idea, and since... It was your idea, which I definitely want to give you credit for. Uh, What is something that you kind of, when you think about the future of Black Hollywood, what are things that you are looking for? And then you can go into the first person on your list. Well, I'm looking forward to people who are trendsetters, creators, uh, people who are incredible at the craft, uh, people Mm -hmm. who are are diverse in roles they play. and people who are really starting to engage audiences in the work that they do. So that's the immediate thing that popped in my head when I think about it. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So who is the first, first person first on your person list? Is Lena Waithe, uh, director, okay. creator, writer. Um, she won uh, an, an, she won a Golden Globe for her work on Master of None. She's mm-hmm. currently created the show on Showtime called The Shy. She's going to pop up again as an actress in um, Ready Player One. So oh, she I, is? She's really, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, so I think she's set up to have a really great 2018 uh, producing, writing, directing, starring and stuff. So just, you know, like a, it reminds me of like a, a baseball pitcher with, with a bunch of different pitches they can throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, she's got, uh, she's got kind of has it all in her bag, so I'm excited to see what she's doing moving forward. She has a new show uh, she's creating about uh, thinks about a bisexual woman. I'm not sure. Okay. But she has a new show, another new show that she's creating. So she, she's on the move. So that she's my number one. I like it. Oddly enough, my number one also has a connection to her. So the first person on my list is the young actor Alex Hibbert. So Alex Hibbert was in Moonlight. He was the young yeah. young boy in Moonlight. He was also in Black Panther. I mistakenly called him Elijah Booth. Uh, so Alex Hibbert is actually the one who is in Black Panther at the end. And he is in a show called The Shy. So <laughs> definitely a connection there. But Alex Hibbert, I mean, when I first saw him in Moonlight, I mean, the kid was just solid. And that is material. That movie is incredible. You can go back and listen to me talk about it so much. That is difficult material for 
a young actor and he was incredible. Like he really blew me away. So yeah, he is the first on, on my list. I think that the exposure they had in Moonlight was good. In Black Panther, he only has like a two minute scene. Granted, that scene was one of the ones that kind of hit Tim in the feels. Uh, you know, yeah, great, it's a great scene. So, and with The Shy becoming a very popular TV show, I think a lot more eyes are going to be on this kid. So, yeah, that is why he is on my list. All right, all right. So next on my list is Jacob Lattimore, who many people might know from the movie. Uh, Slight 2016. Mm, okay. Uh, collateral, collateral Beauty, and probably one of the best things in Detroit. Movie that I did not love, but Ugh, I thought yeah. Jacob Lattimore was fantastic in it. But again, a versatile actor. Uh, I mean, if you look at these roles that he's played, they're all really different, really skilled. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of commands the screen when he's on the screen, uh, and kind of has some star quality. I don't know, you know, if if he'll if he'll reach that potential at some point. Uh, but he has he has that it factor that you see in actors that, you know, you can drop him in any kind of role, action, drama, comedy, mm-hmm. biopic, and, you know, he can do his own thing. Nice. I like it. Uh, my next one, I mean, this is, it is weird to put her on the list of the future of Black Hollywood, but I have reasons. Oh, no. Who's this? Uh, oh, is this Oprah? <laughs> I really think she is going places. I think she just needs to, needs a chance. Uh No. The person on my list is Janelle Monet, and okay. the reason it is Janelle Monet is she is Thompson. Uh, no, not not because of her, but ooh, that new video, my goodness. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the, with Janelle Monet, before I get hot flashes over here in the studio, Janelle Monet, I mean, has been an incredible vocalist and artist and singer songwriter and performer, and then we started to see in the past couple years her branch out and to do movies and so far she has not had a miss that being said she has been in three movies mm-hmm. moonlight hidden figures and then she has a an upcoming one that i mean yeah, nobody really knows about uh yet i mean other than she did a voice in rio too but i'm not counting that uh, she was in Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which you really dug on Amazon Prime, right? Yeah, I like the show. I mean, it's it's like Black Mirror Light, but she she was in one of the best episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with her, what I kind of compare her to, if I am comparing her to anybody, is somebody from the past, like a Diana Ross, who is already well-known as a performer and singer-songwriter. Then she does a movie like Lady Sings the Blues, and gets nominated for an Oscar. You know, showing that diversity, showing that ability where if you are at that level of talent, you put your mind to something, you can pretty much do anything. So with Janelle Monet, in the little things that we have seen her in so far, as far as volume, you know, moonlight and hidden figures, she is she is pretty incredible. And especially with her new album that is coming out, her new videos, she is a force to be reckoned with uh yeah those those two videos please look them up people i might actually put them in the show notes because yeah she i've been a huge fan of hers for a long time and i love that she is becoming even more comfortable than charity was with her message and that message just like hey this is who i am this is what i want to do deal with it 
Yeah, one of the things I've noticed about about you know people who make their transition from music into film mm-hmm. is they're all very comfortable in front of the camera. Exactly. Like they're and there's sort of this comf- comfortability they have from being in music videos and being you know on sets and stuff and being on stage that you know tra- that sort of it helps when you see them on screen. Like mm-hmm. Even someone like T.I., who I don't love as an actor, always seems very comfortable in front of the camera, even though he can't necessarily act well. <laughs> right. uh, but he still he doesn't look out of place. He doesn't look you know like it's his first time blocking or, or doing anything. Mm-hmm. They, they get all that down. Now, the acting is the part where it's important <laughs> that, that Janelle Monet, you know, has seemed to have a, a grip on. But yeah. a lot of these people, you know, who are very musically talented like she is, you know, have tried acting when they're young, have tried other mm-hmm. things, whether it be, you know, you hear these stories, whether it be Tupac or Most Deaf or whoever, who have dabbled in, you know, performing arts on some level. Uh, so it's, it's a very natural transition for her to go from music into acting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, with T.I., with what is funny about T.I. is as an actor, yeah, it can be a little bit, you know, stiff, but his reality show. Uh, it's like, a lot stiff. I, okay, yes, a lot stiff, but like. T.I. and Tiny, like, that show, of all the reality shows that I will watch, like, a random episode of, like, he is hilarious. Like, when you see him in kind of his natural element, then he is a lot more comfortable. But, yeah, oof. And other, and other things, he still needs to get <laughs> get to that place of, and again, it is tough, being an actor, being a creator of, like, okay, how do I get as comfortable as I am in this role or in this you know project so but, yeah, I mean, but you know in the films he's in you know ti's not asked to do much no he's you know he's playing a gangster he's playing a cop a cricket cop like mm-hmm. you know he's not asked to really like flex and, and be anything different I, you know i think you know he was fine in atl but he was asked to play a, a different version of himself pretty much you know yeah. what i mean like like <laughs> someone just a little adjacent from who he is which which isn't that difficult but you know he was surrounded with a good script and a, a solid cast that sort of helped that movie go he didn't have to carry the movie Yep, for sure. Cool. Uh, and then I have a couple honorable mentions. Do you have a couple more people that you want to give a shout out to? I have a couple more people I want to give a shout out to. Okay. Um, I mean, we all know how much I love Logan Browning. Uh, uh, wait, who? L- Lo- Logan Browning. A little bit of a little act. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I first saw her on that uh, PlayStation show, Powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had like a bit of an it factor, like oh she's talented, and then I saw her again, you know, on and the, the world has seen her on Dear White People and seen mm-hmm. she, she has some range. She is talented. Um, it'd be interesting to see if put in a leading role, you know, what she does, you know, and in a you mean in a outside movie. of like okay with the movie? Sorry. I was like with Dear White People, I was like that she's is the lead on the show, which yeah. is different than being a leading film. So. Yes. Hopefully, I know, I know Disney's remaking the Rocketeer with a black woman. I'm hoping that maybe she gets a look, her or AJ, Naomi King or somebody. Mm-hmm. It's a look uh, for that. I think she'd be perfect for that. Uh, so we'll see. You know, hopefully, you know, I think this exposure on a Netflix show will give her some, a lot more eyes on her to see what she can do. So she's my first honorable mention. Okay. Uh, my first honorable men- mention is another actress who, similar to Logan Browning, is already recognizable. But I think in the next few years, it is really going to change. So, and this is another another uh, person that Tim Tim knows and knows her work very well. Gugu Mbatha Ra. Oh, she's already a star. I mean, she she already Gugu's a star. Yeah, so she already 
is and people have been seeing her again like super recognizable you know but i think in the next few years once she really starts getting those large exposure roles or larger i should say because again yes she is well known but with wrinkle and a wrinkle in time coming out she is in that as dr kate murray like she yeah like i said similar to alex oh go ahead she was the lead in in um cloverfield paradox yes yeah so i think with her similar to alex hibbert the more eyes people get on her because in this industry you can have a huge resume but unless people are seeing on a large scale who you are, what you are doing, what projects you're involved in, the road gets tough. And so the more eyes you can get on somebody, it is going to be solid. So yeah, Gugu is definitely on my list for the future because yeah, she is solid for sure. Okay, who is next? Okay, so I have two final um, two final uh, choices. Honorable mention. Two. Two real quick ones. Okay. Um, one is uh, producer Will Packer. Okay. Who people might know produced The Wedding Ringer, Almost Christmas, um, Ride Along, mm-hmm. Girls Trip. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of projects coming up, producing, product, producing a lot of black-led projects uh, and putting them out there for the world to see. So, And, and producing them well, like, you yeah. know, between... Between Ride Along and Girl Trip, I mean, these are, these are projects that didn't cost a lot of money, but, you know, bankrolled at the box office. So he's, he's sure. got the hot hand right now. So I'm excited to see, you know, what other projects he takes on. And hopefully people are starting to take his projects and his works a lot more seriously mm-hmm. uh, than they have been. And the other one is Kylie Boonberry, who we just saw in um, Game Night. Yes. Who was really great in Pitch, which is a really good show that uh, I was really pissed they got. You know, it's, it's one of those shows that it got canceled. And I was pissed. I really liked the show mm-hmm. and I liked the the concept. I think if it comes out a year later, with what we've seen, with what they've done with Wonder Woman, what they've done with uh, the Women in Black Panther, mm-hmm. and what they're doing now on television, that I think it's received differently. It's probably written differently under the under uh, sort of what we've seen with this Me Too movement. Uh, I think they'll probably be a lot more braver with the concepts and the in the in the story about harassment that a woman pitcher would receive if she pitched for for sure i think i think i don't know if there was space to be honest about it then but there's definitely space now uh so i think it's a different show and i probably it probably stays around longer but i think she was great on that show she was funny and gave night uh i'm hoping she gets some more opportunities to sort of shine and, and, and show what she can do because i think i think she's very talented mm-hmm. and with pitch i mean did it even make it a full season i feel like it got axed oh no, axed early Fox is known to do that. Fox well, is, true. <laughs> is also a, a, a studio that's, uh, uh, that's known to pull stuff early. I remember I liked About Human that got pulled. I liked a, There's a lot of stuff that comes on Fox that just you're into and it gets pulled. I think mm-hmm. Pitch has a different run if it's on a platform like Netflix or Amazon Prime uh, where they're able to sort of flush out 10 episodes and sort of see, watch this whole full story, watch 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 her first season as a pitcher mm-hmm. see how that goes. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, My kind of last thought about the future of Black Hollywood is after seeing this past week uh, that Lupita Nyong'o and Trevor Noah are collaborating on a movie based on his kind of autobiography called Born a Crime. Lupita is not only going to be playing his mother, but she is going to be producing it. 
I think that type of collaboration is also going to be the future of Black Hollywood, where, I mean, that book came out a while ago. Trevor has this incredible story to tell, but sometimes it takes somebody who also has an experience that is similar or an affinity to be like, you know what? Let me not only champion this movie and be in it, let me produce it. So similar to Will, I think think similar to Will Packer, those producer roles and those types of collaborations are going to completely change the game. And I think they've changed because now, you know, you don't, so, you know, if I was a producer in the nineties, I would need to go to Lionsgate. I would need a, you know, a picture deal with Paramount or Universal Mm -hmm. or or Fox Searchlight, whoever, but now with different platforms like Hulu, Netflix and and Amazon, I don't need necessarily need that. So I can hook up with, with a producer like Will Packer, create a show about, you know, this is the Tuskegee Airmen and just have a go straight to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't, I don't need that. I don't need a bunch of test screenings. I don't need all that. And you know, I remember Aziz talking about that when he created Master of None about you know Netflix being willing just to make a full season of the show. Right. But again, and how important that is because him having that show and bringing Lena Waithe on allows her to get the exposure she needs. And now she's producing stuff. Now she's creating shows. So having a platform like Netflix allows for different types of creators mm-hmm. to show what they can do is, is, is really helpful because, yeah, you know I, I think the, that, the options show, yeah but just that show allows for someone like her to get the exposure she needs to then create other things and other opportunities for other people of color in Hollywood so I think I think these different platforms are are going to be the game changers that allow for situations like because then now because now the other studios hands are tied mm-hmm. now they're looking like well, I need a project. Like, they want a they want a girls' night. They yeah. want a ride along, mm-hmm. right? They want something like Black Panther that explodes. Now they they want it, and it may not, you know, it may be in the heart of hearts they want diversity, but I know one thing they do want is money. Money, and they want <laughs> they want they want to win. They want to look and say, "Yo, I produced something that was a, a surefire hit." Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're gonna they're gonna be searching for these these projects, and we're gonna see a lot more black creatives and black actors and actresses getting opportunities. Uh, we just hope they get equal pay. And that is that, yep, that, that is absolutely the next the next step, uh, especially in the wake, you know, like you mentioned earlier, of uh, the Me Too movement and all of these things of so many things that have been, quote unquote, industry standard for a long time that are now being in the public way more than ever before, because an actress can send out a tweet uh, right after coming out of an interview being like, okay, this just happened. And it is not like the hush hush before like, oh, you know, it is fine. Just take like, no, uh-uh. one of the things that is important are allies. Right. Meryl Streep is a big ally, you know? So when you have her being like, you know what? Okay. We need, you know, not only as women, do we need to stand up for each other in this industry as people, we need to come together and be like, all right, yes, I understand I am Meryl Streep, legendary actress, getting paid X amount. My co-star, who is also legendary, she needs to get a pay bump also. But but bigger bigger than what Meryl Streep did is Jessica Chastain going in with uh, with Octavia Spencer and saying, we're tied together in this project. Mm-hmm. So we're both going to get paid equally. You know what I mean? Like that's To me, that's the bigger move. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to walk into a studio with your black co-star and say, this is this is a project, and you know legally we're tied together mm-hmm. this contract. So this is what we're doing together. So that and to me that's really true allyship, 
is those type of things happening. Absolutely. Cool. So that was, uh, those are some of our thoughts on the future of black Hollywood. Again, it comes down to the creators. It comes down to the opportunities that are so much different now. The Amazons, the Hulu, the Netflixes, the collaborations that are going to happen, the actors and actresses and producers that we mentioned, definitely go check out their work because, yeah, they are they're doing big things. All right. Uh, first movie review of the show uh, is going to be Annihilation. Uh, you want to take this one, Tim? Oh, good old <laughs> Annihilation. I, it's funny. I just talked about this with Chris Lambert on his show. Yes, definitely. Uh, shout out. Yeah. Shout out to the Mundane Festival. Go check out uh, Chris Lambert's latest episode, which Tim is also on. It came out. That episode, what? Did it drop Monday? Today. Today. Okay. Nice. Drop today. So, yeah. Oh, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Just today. Um, yeah, it was good. So, Annihilation is based on a book uh, with the same name about loosely based from what i'm hearing yes very loosely based uh, but uh it's a, we follow the story of lena she's a professor and her husband has been missing for about a year uh in combat she doesn't know where he's at and he returns from home falls ill and that's when she learns his true whereabouts that he was in a place uh called area x aka the shimmer mm-hmm. where something fell from the sky created the shimmer around this lighthouse and it's been slowly growing and taking up space now they've sent at least 12 different groups into the shimmer mm-hmm. and no one's came back except her husband so now yep. lena along with three other women travel into the shimmer to figure out what's at the lighthouse and yeah. the deeper they get in the shimmer the weirder and crazier things get yeah and i mean this is one of those movies that that is almost all you need because literally everything else will be a spoiler. Yeah, and it's really impossible to explain what they see in the shimmer. Like it's yeah. just it's weird. It's weirdness. It's it's beautiful and crazy and and there and there are some the hybridization of plants and animals which you see in the trailers. Uh, yeah. What is crazy is so it is directed by Alex Garland, directed who, and written by Alex Garland. Yes, uh, you know hot off the heels quote unquote of ex machina which tim and i absolutely loved but then when i started digging deeper into his work so he wrote 28 days later he was a producer on 28 weeks later he wrote the screenplay for dread like this guy has been around whoa 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 yes skip over sunshine what, what what did you do on Sunshine? Well, I would just give oh yeah, Sunshine. oh sorry. Written by Sun- Yep, sorry, <laughs> forgot about <Yeah>. that. How <laughs> did you skip? Man, that's one of my favorite sci-fi films, man. Mm, Sunshine is is divisive. No, no, I will say. You know what? Well, what time out? Why is it divisive? I, so I actually I really enjoy Sunshine. There is yeah. there is a a group, a large percentage of people that I remember when it was coming out that they just it was too too much of a kind of heady sci-fi they're like i just don't understand blah blah i remember seeing that and being like okay there's a difference between kind of quote-unquote hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi and action sci-fi sunshine is pretty cerebral sci-fi but no i definitely dug it and yes i forgot that he wrote that as well mm-hmm. so uh yeah so alex sure garland <laughs> I was just scrolling through. I wanted to mention the other things. 
this is his second directorial directorial thing, right? Only, yes. This is on the second thing he directed, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, it kind of shows when you are in the industry and you learn all these different things. I mean, when you write stuff, when you do the screenplay, producing, and then you get the chance to be the writer and director and you can really create your own project. It definitely shows kind of his ability to hold on to everything and be like, okay, this is a story I want to tell. Like the book does one thing, which actually it was based on a trilogy. Uh, yeah. The Southern Reach trilogy. Yep. Southern Reach trilogy. Yeah. Uh, he has said in multiple interviews, because anytime a director comes onto a project that is based on a book series, so what's going to be next? Blah, blah. He said emphatically, I have zero plans for a sequel. So yeah. if this goes anywhere, he is not involved. But what I thought was interesting about this movie, about Annihilation, first of all, visually it is stunning. The score for it, the soundtrack was incredible. I mean, it has mm-hmm. some techno influences, just kind of techno-induced madness through some of the imagery. But yeah, the I wanted to give it, who was it? Those uh, loud horns they use all the time. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, horns, Jeff yeah. Barrow and Ben Salisbury did the score. I really dug the score. This movie also reminded me, I think this movie will play well in places where certain things are certain substances are legal uh where you can <laughs> where you can partake in certain substances and then go to a movie it might be too much this yo oh, well yes i think there are definitely some scenes for that it might be too, it might be too much um yeah it's <clears throat> it's an interesting story it's super sci-fi it does take a hard turn towards the end of the movie uh, yes uh into, into sci-fi uh <laughs> Chris said it's like a Terrence Malick movie at some point. Oof, good yeah, pull. It yeah. does take a hard, it does take a hard turn. Uh, but up until that point, I, I really, I'm, I'm not that I didn't enjoy the hard turn, but I think up to that point, it's, it's easily digestible sci-fi for general audiences. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, there are some people who will jump off the ship during the last ten minutes and say, okay, this is too much for me. Yeah, um, th- there's kind of what, what it reminded me of, uh, visually. There, there's kind of a a modern dance element to it that was super modern dance. Oh yeah. Like there's a modern dance choreography type set piece. Oh yeah. That not was a dance. Not uh, a dance set piece. If anybody who has been to a modern dance performance, that is immediately what it reminded me of. And it was, it was kind of odd. I, I understood it question mark, but it was kind of odd, but I definitely want to touch on the cast. So this is a sci-fi film based on, not based on, but built on the backs of four women, which is something you do not really see that often. So the four women, so you have Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Rodriguez, and Tessa Thompson. So those four women who go into the shimmer, who go on this mission there is not one one kind of slight knock on the movie. There's not a ton of character development. Yeah, it's not really about the four women. It's kind of just about Lena and her journey. 
and these other women sort of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. It was like that boat ride where they kind of explain this is why everyone's here and they kind of have nothing to lose. That's why they're on this like suicide mission. That's it. That's as deep as we get. You don't yeah. really get much else. Which is kind of, I mean, it was kind of a shame because it would have been nice to get more of that backstory. What I did love is Gina Rodriguez as Anya. I yeah, always love the character in these types of movies, be it sci-fi or horror, who when someone is like, hey, we should go investigate this thing. And the one person is like, no, no, we really should turn back and get out yeah. of here. Even But even her character of Anya, you know, when they find that recording, she's the one person who is trying not to believe what she's seeing. Which is crazy. Because it's camera tricks and it's lighting. Yeah. Right? But, you get under, but that's the fear talking. Mm-hmm. He's clearly afraid. And the deeper they get, the more, you know, she's looking at her hands. Mm-hmm. He realizes something that's going on with her body, and she doesn't know how to how to process it. So when she finally reaches her breaking point at the house, uh, it's intense because you realize, oh, she's lost it. She's reached a point already where she's sort of mentally sort of gone crazy. Mm-hmm. So I I liked th- I like that realness of her character. I like that groundedness. Yeah. Uh, both when she was saying get out, you know, we need to go back, but also like you said when it turns when, when she it turns, yeah when, when she finally makes that switch and she ugh, like it is yeah it is rough she, she's a talented actress i think most people may know her from jane you know jane the virgin but she's mm-hmm. really talented um she was really good in that um what was that movie about the oil rig she was in that with uh mark Wahlberg. With mark Wahlberg. uh you yeah. know what i'm talking about the yeah, oil yeah. Rig, uh horizon something or, deep water horizon I mean, deep water horizon yeah mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I almost said Event Horizon, which is a horror movie. That's not the same thing. Oh <laughs> uh, no, uh, Her- very different. As much as Event Horizon scarred me when I saw it, I would rather see Event Horizon five times than see Deepwater Horizon one more time. Oh man! So really, yeah. You didn't enjoy Deepwater Horizon? Nope. Why not? It was just it was just dumb. Uh, I, yeah. Really, I thought it was. I thought it was. It was. For a movie where I kind of know how it ends, I thought it was fine. Um, yeah. Less less Mark Wahlberg being a hero. Yeah, I think that that might be part of it, where it's just like, come on. Like, I just got a little bit old. But uh, back to the cast. So, Tessa Tom- Thompson. Tessa-, yeah. Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. <laughs> you know, again. Fresh off playing Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok. Just, just a young upstart actress who is getting her shot. You know, uh, Tessa Thompson. You know, uh, no, a very subtle performance for her. Very quiet. She's mm-hmm. very meek. Um, but the best part of her character, she's slowly piecing together what's happening as well. Mm-hmm. Sort of, she's the one who sort of figures out what's actually happening in the Shimmer. Yes. Um, and explains to everybody else. Yeah, I definitely liked that. Uh, I mean, Jennifer Jason Lee is great. I mean, she, yeah, she kind of always is. She was nominated for an Oscar just a couple years ago. Her character also, like, you you find out like basically right at the end kind of why she was there and why she was making her choices but again it kind of came back to that that not real there was not really a depth to these to these characters um they build some depth while they're in the shimmer but it's still kind of a little bit superficial uh the graphic nature of this movie I think is going to turn some people away. Like when this, when this becomes violent, the violence is just visceral. 
There, there are a couple scenes in particular, the camera scene for one of them, where while we are in the screening for this, so many people around us are turning their head. Like it is, it is a rough scene to watch. I don't know. Compared to our other movie we're talking about, I didn't think the violence was that bad. Okay. It's it's gr- it's it's gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's very <laughs> disgusting. I, I wasn't necessarily cringing. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. The one that there are also a couple scenes that were some of the most intense cinematic moments that I have been a part of in a while. There's a scene with a bear that is chilling. I mean, it, it, I I think, you know, which one I'm talking about where a bear kind of enters the room and yeah, that's a, that's a classic horror movie trope, which I, which I appreciate. It's a trope that I appreciate. It's Mm -hmm. not a trope that I hate. It's definitely one I appreciate. It's the something's in the room. I need to stand still and be quiet. So it doesn't see or smell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and it, it, I, I like it. And it plays off well in this movie. It plays off well, I think, also because not only is it taking that trope, but it is adding an additional element that was completely surprising. And again, it was creepy. Oh, super creepy! Because in the shimmer, we see that hybridization of of people and places, and oof, yeah, it was that that was intense. Uh. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, those were the main points. Uh, The way this kind of, the way the movie ends, because it is based off of a book series, there is the possibility that they could do other things. But if they do, he definitely is not involved. Alex Garland. He says that now, but, you know, depends on what the movie makes, what the check looks like. uh, Easy to say up front, oh, I would never do a sequel. I don't, he said, I have, I don't have any plans on doing the sequel. Doesn't mean he would never do a sequel. So far, it is so far it is kind of floundering at the box office, though. So we will see. We will see kind of what legs it has over the next, you know, couple weeks. Yeah, it's kind of tough. It's it's in a tough spot. It's, it's still up against Black Panther, <laughs> yeah. Um, which I think people under underestimated what it would do. Mm-hmm. And then also, it's it's right up on um, Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, but I think Annihilation will definitely be a movie that people will watch once it hits streaming services. Yeah, I could see that. And I think we forgot to mention, even though we mentioned Natalie Portman's husband, uh, Oscar Isaac, is is in this film. Yeah. And he is great, as always. I'm not sure I can think of an Oscar Isaac performance that I did not like. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you miss uh, X-Men, the last X-Men movie he was in? Wait, how is he? Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I purposely try and forget X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> you, you missed that, huh? Gosh, he was, he was in that. Oh, that movie was trash. Not his fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, true, true. Not his fault, but still, it's still bad. Yeah. Uh, cool. So the rating system for this podcast. If this is your first time listening, there are three choices: no letter grades, no stars. The three choices are good, bad, or ugly. They're loosely defined as. A good film is something you came out of the theater, you were happy with, it made you think, it made you appreciate what you just saw, and that you would recommend it to a friend. A bad film is something that you did not necessarily enjoy, might not be at the tip of your tongue when you're recommending movies to your friends, ugly, avoid at all costs. So Tim Hall, the People's Critic, what do you give Annihilation? 
I give it a good. I think it's it's good sci-fi. It's a cool story. I, I wish they had spent more time in the Shimmer with these women. Mm-hmm. And instead of following Lena's like, oh, my husband is a weird. I don't know if it's him. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wish they'd avoid all of that. Um, spent more time on sort of these, these women and their journey through the Shimmer. Uh, it's not for everybody, though. That's that much. I can yeah. say. It's a movie. When it reaches the end, sort of the apex of the story, it's going to be something that's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But I think most people will probably enjoy it. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so my official rating is also a good. Like Tim, like Tim just said, the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie where it really starts taking some divergent paths, I think, yeah, are going to turn people Both choices. Uh, some, bold, <laughs> some bold choices. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Some I think, very bold choices. I think, yeah, that is going to turn people up even if people were if they, especially if they were on the fence while watching the movie by the end of it yeah it is not gonna happen but i give it a good as well uh, i enjoyed it the score like i said was great the visuals were incredible alex garland i mean again in his two director director credits he knows what he is doing and so with ex machina with a much smaller budget much more confined space he put together an awesome sci-fi, you know, short or sci-fi movie. Now with a much bigger budget, he still is able to have like that kind of indie feel in a big budget movie. So I'm on board with kind of whatever he does next. He was announced for Halo, which they have been trying to make a Halo movie for a long time. It is is never going to happen. But yeah, so I give it a good as well. All right, next movie on the list is the Russian spy thriller uh, led by Jennifer Lawrence, directed by Francis Lawrence, no relation, uh, called Red Sparrow. Um, <laughs> this, <laughs> I mean, basically the premise of this, it is just, it is a Russian espionage spy thriller where Jennifer Lawrence gets recruited into this program uh, where they're called sparrows. It never really goes into why red sparrow other than it is Russia, I assume, but that, that was kind of left innocuous, but she has a dancer who then gets recruited into this program from there. It is a completely generic spy thriller. Recruited is it's, Loosely, loose word. She's okay. really not given an option to join. True. She's pretty much told either you join or you or or you're dead. So figure it out. So she figures it out <laughs> and joins. Fair, fair enough. Now, uh, yeah, because she's not really given an option. Like the, the yeah. trailer looks like she's some star people that they plucked out, but it's not really what happens. I mean, she's injured. She needs right. to take care of her mom and and pay for her apartment so she can no longer dance. And they, according to her uncle, they've been paying for her apartment. He uses this. As leverage. Um, as leverage mm-hmm. to get her to do this one thing, you know, as most people do. Oh, it's just one thing. It's simple. You go seduce this guy, flip his phone, mm-hmm. and we're good. And that turns into a situation where she's seen way too much. Yep. And <laughs> they're like, well, since you've seen a lot, you can either part of, you know, be down what we're doing here or, you know, it's, it's lights out for you. So she joins and, you know, is clearly, you know, a, a different people than the rest of her Because the other kids they say early on are like all military trained mm-hmm. he's not yep yeah so i mean she is kind of the fish out of the water kind of like you know kingsman secret service 
right. where when Eggsy goes to the school through various means and circumstances, he is the outsider. Everybody else has known about the program, has relatives in the program. You know, they were there for a reason. Eggsy shows up and was like, oh, uh, wait, what? So similar to Jennifer Lawrence, because, yeah, she has a dancer for the Bolshoi Ballet and has this onstage injury that, again, was hard to watch. Brutal. Uh, it really set the tone for the rest oof, of the film. Man. You're like, oh, okay, this is this kind of movie. You're just going to lay on this leg that's broken and just keep showing it. All right. And that was the thing is like, I mean, the whole thing. I mean, I, again, I grew up in the theater. Oh, go break a leg. Uh, when you actually see it happen on stage and not just happen, you hear it, you see it. And then, like you said, it pans slowly away from it. So you see everything. Yeah, it's like this overhead shot of her <laughs> leg. Yeah. 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 So her uncle in this film, uh, who is played by, what was the name? Oh yeah. Mat- oh, why did I try it? Just Matthias. I was going to try. He's really good too. He was solid. I really do not know much of that actor's work. I mean, he is a Belgian actor, so he has done, you know, quite a few films over there. What was interesting about this movie. So Jennifer Lawrence in real life is a tall actress is a tall woman. I mean, she stands, I think like five, nine, five, ten. So you put her in heels when she was on red carpet. I felt bad. What was uh what was the guy's name in Hunger Games? Uh the one who did the makeup. Oh. Josh Hutcherson. Josh Hutcherson. <laughs> when you saw him on stage, like on the red carpet for the Hunger Games, he kind of just looked like a kid. Cause he is yeah. he is not short, he is Hollywood short. So he is like five eight. No, 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 he's short. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> So Jennifer Lawrence, what was interesting is knowing how tall she is in real life. They did some really interesting things with angles in this, where when he is when she is standing next to her uncle, that actor is either really tall or they play it off with angles because he towers over her in multiple scenes. So that was an interesting dynamic. But yeah, he works for the Russian government. Uh, She does not really know exactly what he does until she kind of gets into this program, but you know, just, I mean, anybody who follows any sort of political spy thriller movies, anybody who works for quote unquote, the Russian government is pretty ubiquitous and they could be doing any number of things. Yeah. He's up to something shady. Oh, for sure. Joel Edgerton plays Nate Nash, who is the American in, in all of this. He, he was good in this. Like he was solid I don't think. Go ahead. (laughs) You don't want to skip one. So the heart of the story is, Mm -hmm. she gets plucked out of training early to, because they're not okay. So these women aren't really trained to be like Black Widow in Marvel's movies, right? Oh yeah, no, I was was definitely going to get to that. (laughs) They're seductress. The the men and the women in the sparrows, they're they're meant to seduce and use sex or any means to get whatever information they want, Mm -hmm. right? So she's called upon to seduce. An American, played mm-hmm. by Nate, who has been in contact with a known mole in the Russian government. So right. her, her entire job is to get this, to get the name of the mole, seduce him and get him to to, to, to feel close to you and, and divulge this information. Right? Mm-hmm. The beauty of the story that I really appreciate it is 
it's not like a spy versus spy story. It's really they're very, you know, Dominica and um, Nate are really upfront about who they are. Yeah, initially, true. No one's like, I'm not a spy, and I'm not trying to hide. I'm a spy. They're both <laughs> right. pretty much like, yeah, yeah, we're both spies. So what's up? What do you need? Oh, they want me to get the name for from you. Oh, okay. Yeah, they well, each they, they, e- your head. they each uh, kind of call each other out from the beginning, where he was like, they have, they're having a real conversation about mm-hmm. whether what their expectations are from their governments and what they what they want from them, what they need them to do. So it makes for a, a much more interesting story mm-hmm. when you're watching that. And uh, I couldn't stand it like two hours of her pretending to be to be a spy, pretending to not be a spy. Right. Right. And so I, I did like that. Yeah, there was that transparency where and you see it in some of like the Bond films right. where, OK, Bond is supposed to be this world renowned super spy who literally introduces himself everywhere he goes. What kind of spy? Like, how does that how does that work with longevity? Right. So I like. Yeah, I mean, it is a good point. From the jump, they have that conversation. They know who each other is, and they just kind of roll with it. Yeah, but but she's—I mean—they're both getting pressure. Like he's pressuring the government to sort of give him a chance to to get the mole to come out, mm-hmm. and she's getting pressure from the Russian government to find out who this mole is. So that's that's the real crux of the story. Is you know, her uncle is getting pressure, and he's then pressuring her like, "Hey, we need a name. If you can't provide a name." I can't help you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. If you're not doing your job, I don't know if I can help you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so it was definitely, it was a deftly layered spy thriller. And especially in the last act, not even the last act, similar to Annihilation, the last 10 minutes, 10, yeah. 15 minutes, to me, it felt like they were just trying to make up for the past two hours. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, I was just, you know, one of my, problems and this is a this is a really big problem that took me out of the movie so similar to a lot of spy movies she needs to get this information she needs to get this information that is on a storage device so is it a usb device because it is 2018 no is it some sort of future tech no it is three and a half inch diskettes that blew my mind. I was like, what are you doing? Even in Mission Impossible, the first one, they had a CD. It, this is not even a CD. It is a three and a half floppy disk. That made zero sense. It offended me because I was like, this is 2018. Nobody is using those. The only... I think, I don't, I think it was important for the information they wanted. I don't mm. know if it was new, necessarily new information they had. I just... That made zero sense the only old style storage system that is still used because it is still incredibly reliable is microfilm other than that everything is digitized like that whole part of the plot and she has this tense scene where she has to get dummy discs and replace them i was i was so done with it because i was like that makes no sense all of the information on those discs could fit on one thumb drive on one tiny little micro SD card. It just, it was such a red herring. And I think it, it, I cannot even blame it on the books because these, this was also based on a book written by a former CIA operative, uh, Jason Matthews. The book came out in 2013. So this is not a book made in the eighties or even the nineties. 
This is 2013. I just that 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 blew my mind. I have no idea why they decided to do that. Yeah, it didn't bother me that much at all, actually. <laughs> Fair enough. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, one other thing that bothered me, and this is something you and I have talked about multiple times: accents. So this is a Russian political espionage thriller movie that takes place in Russia with Russian operatives. And there are three lines of Russian in the entire movie. That also makes no sense to me because it is like, why would you go to a school in Russia with Russian people and they're all speaking English? I, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a dumb choice, but you know, <laughs> I, get it, I get it. It's a choice that the filmmakers decided to make. You know, they didn't want to do subtitles. I get I, it. Ugh, I just, it is just lazy. It reminds me of the snowman where this is a Norwegian book set in Norway with Norwegian actors and nobody speaks Norwegian. <laughs> but also, you know, can can the actors they have on set speak Russian? But then get different ones. Red Sparrow is not some like gigantic book that everybody knows that they needed a Jennifer Lawrence to be in. Like now, but now she's in it. She is in it. She is the lead. Uh, can she speak Russian? If she can't, then you can't do that. She, if can she can't speak Russian. <laughs> then you can't. You then you can't do that. You can't have all Russian speaking at the school. Then put Myla Kunis in there. She speaks Russian. But it was just like so. Not only does Jennifer Lawrence not speak Russian, her Russian accent is all over the map. Yeah, it's not very good. No, and <laughs> speaking of all over the map, you have actors from all over the world playing Russians. <laughs> you have. Uh, Kieran Hins, who is an Irish actor, and the like, the hardest one for me to get past was Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons has this turn when he is quote unquote revealed in the movie. He is looking out of a window, and he turns to face the two actors and you know us, the audience, and all of us, like not all of us, a bunch of us, kind of let out a little bit of a chuckle because Jeremy Irons is Jeremy Irons in every movie. And so him doing this Russian accent as General Korchnoi or whatever, it just, I have a hard time with that, with just the inconsistency. It, it, it happens. I mean, we just watched Black Panther where it was black people from all over the world playing Africans. Is this the thing that happens when they make movies? You know, it, it, in, in a perfect world, you get people from that, from that specific region to act in the film. Mm-hmm. In real life, you get, you get the talent you can get and you work with what you can work with. So. Yeah, uh, to touch on the school that, that you were mentioning. So this is, a, a, again, the school where they're called sparrows and they are operatives for the Russian government. And you see at one point they go on like a run outside in the snow because it is Russia and you always have to have a montage scene like that. And you see some people in the distance doing like pistol training, you know, working with guns. You see nobody doing martial arts so it is like the only skill you are teaching them is the art of seduction what if that yeah, seduction goes wrong you are not giving whole... anybody like you're not giving them a way to defend themselves no they don't care about these people that's the conversation that that jennifer lawrence's character has with her roommate when she gets there where she what she says they think we're their whores but we're not and we need to have something you know if we don't have if we don't have what they want we're kind of useless and that's, I think that's the whole point of her character's arc in the story is that 
she doesn't want to use sex as a weapon. She doesn't. She, you know, she's reluctant in the training to even do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's like, I'm not doing that. I don't, you know, I don't have to do any of that. Like, I can, I can get it how I get it. I don't need to be having sex with these dudes. But that's, but that's, how, that's the how they value them. Her uncle, all of them, they just see them as prostitutes mm-hmm. in a way to get information. That's why they're not giving them any other training because they don't really, they don't care if they live or die. They just want them to get the information. Yeah, I they're guess not training them, they're not training them to be actual spies. They're training them to seduce people and get information for the government. That's it. Yeah, I, that was, that is just kind of when I think of spy thrillers and a spy school. That was that was a weird disconnect, and it was like, not a, but it's, it's not a spy school. It is a, a seduction you know I mean? school. Seduction school. Yeah, it's not. They're it, they're not learning spy techniques. Yeah. They're learning how to oh, seduce people. But they are using spy techniques because they they put a MacGuffin. When she first gets there, of like some powder that you can trace somebody for X amount of time. Yeah, you're just getting information. That's and it not, was like, they're not they're not like spies. They're just like here's how to you can pull a fingerprint doing this. They're not teaching them any heavy duty spy techniques. That's it. Yeah, I would have at least like a two week course on sambo, which is basically a Russian form of mixed martial arts. Like at nah, least throw, at least give them something. <laughs> I think it's not in the film because I think it's speaking to the government the disposability the of them or something this how yeah they don't care about them and you see how they treat them they really no, don't true. care about them. <laughs> i mean and yeah so speaking of treating them a certain way the violence in red sparrow is intense pretty up there it's pretty it's pretty violent it's it's they're using every inch of that r rating oof i mean yeah they they push it uh yeah blood there's torture torture there's a knife fight scene that's absolutely Ugh. crazy uh, okay so <laughs> that was it again you teach them to be seductive if somebody comes at you with a knife are you going to seduce the knife away from them like they don't care <laughs> i get they, it yeah, like, <laughs> they like, don't they don't care they don't they've never cared but they send out that dude who's pretty much their pit bull to go do all the dirty work that's the guy. He's the one doing all the knife work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They don't they don't care about the, you're there to get information. You're there to sleep with a dude and, you know, get on his head and get him to tell you give you a name. I, I don't I don't need you to learn how to fight. I don't need you to know how to defend yourself. I need you to get the name. Right. Yeah. I mean, the to speak to the action, uh the action even though I had a problem with it just because nobody has really taught anything in this movie. The action was done well the set pieces mainly because francis lawrence the director he knows how to shoot some action i mean he did constantine i am legend all three of the hunger games movies so he he gets some solid blocking with the fight scenes i just wish that the fight scenes made more sense uh but which one which one didn't make sense well again just that nobody knows how to defend themselves at one point They're they're not supposed to but again, if somebody is coming out with a knife, you do not hold your arms up and just get slashed. And like, I'm not going to say who is in a certain knife fight, but she's not, so, she not supposed to know. Ugh. she's not supposed to know. That's that's the entire point of her character. I guess. Okay. So and and, and uh, the entire point, of, the entire point of her motivation is that they are mistreated and they're not. They're put in these situations and they're not taught to survive. They're just there to have sex and seduce. And that's part of what rubs her. The entire film. Okay, like, so what so, am I doing? I'm not here just to open my leg. Fair enough. So put yourself in in this position. 
You go to a, a seduction school, not a spy school, a seduction school. If you know that you're going to be sent on dangerous missions, would you yourself not take any sort of self-defense classes to be like, hmm, they seem to be putting me in danger. But what, but what, did, her, what did her uncle tell her on her first mission after they were done? Yeah, uh, like you remember. were never in any da- you were never in any danger. We were always there, right? So it's an idea that like, look, you're never going to be in any real danger. We're always sort of going to be around the corner, so don't worry. So when they send and she she's not dealing with anyone who's dangerous. R- yes, no, no one she was seducing <laughs> was dangerous towards her. Not a single one of them. Well, the first one. The first one put her in some difficult situations, which led her to then be. No, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking post training. But yeah, you're okay. the first one. Yeah, but like post training, no one. The, the real danger doesn't come from anyone she's seducing. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. No one's trying to. No. None of these people are trying to. Like Joe Edison's not to put a trying to put a hand on her. Right. Yeah. None of these people are. Yeah. Seduces the dudes at the bank. Like all this. None of these people. These people are harmless. And those. Those. Even, even interactions. The dude who's, who's, who's her? Who she checks in with the, the station chief dude? Mm-hmm. He's a creep, but he's not dangerous. Yeah, and I and I did like those aspects. Like there are some kind of throwaway moments in the film that, of course, being a well-written spy movie, you see a payoff in that last you know fifteen minutes. So I liked those those little things. There are some definite twists and turns. They're definite twists and turns. Uh, so yeah, swerves. My friend likes to say a few swerves in the film. Swerve, yeah, for sure. I mean, in yeah, the last, the last act, the kind of reveal, the prestige, you know, of it yeah. is done well. I, I will absolutely give it that. So yeah, and and it, I think it it's done well in a very Ocean's Eleven like, oh, this is what she was actually doing the whole exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah, uh, which is always fun for me. But also, it it made sense with her character and her motivations, and it made sense with. When you look back at it, the conversation she's had with people early in the film about sort of her role, how she kind of really didn't have a choice in any of this, mm-hmm. and so she she was slowly, you know, and her uncle says it like you you're you know how to survive. That's why I knew you'd be okay. Yeah. So she takes that to heart and sort of survives. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. So uh, unless you have anything else to say, we can go into the rating system. Uh, what I have to say, I thought it was really smartly told story and different than it looks in the trailers. Like it's definitely hard R with the violence Mm -hmm. and the sex and the nudity. Um, but definitely a much smarter film that I anticipated. It's not necessarily a straightforward story. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think her motivations and the way they frame sort of the way the women's treatment, uh, as a sparrow, I thought was insightful. Like, Oh, there's a much deeper story with her about how she's treated as a woman and how they, they expect her to use sex as a weapon and she's sort of reluctant to do any of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. Uh, what is your official rating for Red Sparrow? I thought it was good. I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it more than I thought. It is super brutal mm-hmm. uh, and very violent. Um, but at the end, I was like, oh, well, well done. Maybe her accent could have been better and, you know. Maybe about 20 minutes shorter. I don't need a bunch of like, you know, back and forth between the rest and the United States, but mm-hmm. it was well done. Okay. Uh, my quote to the studio rep that we have to give whenever we have these press screenings. My quote to the studio rep when I came out was as brutal 
as much as it was boring. Uh, really? I, I mean, I liked some of what they were doing. I liked the layering. I liked the payoff for sure. But there were multiple things that kind of took me out of it. Uh, the accents, the the seduction school, which we kind of had to write in, uh, the discettes, the three and a half discettes, like there, there were things that just kind of took me out of it as good as the ending was. And I definitely did like the ending. I was just kind of bored through, through some of it. So my, my official rating, I'm not going to give it an ugly because it definitely is not, but this was, this was bad. Uh, wow. Yeah. It was just something that it was totally forgettable. This is, uh, yeah, I, even when I think of spy thrillers and everything, the few things that this did well are still not that great. So it gets a bad from, from me. So split opinions from the people's critic and me. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for spy movies, so mm-hmm. I, I dug it. So am I. I just am a sucker for spy movies that make more sense. So, uh, you didn't even <laughs> you you think they should have been defending themselves? I think oh, absolutely. Because again, if you are a spy, should, should if you, you do not learn it at the spy school, learn it on your own. <laughs> okay, here's the thing: you do realize they were not training her to do any of that for a reason. I understand that, but she, knowing that she was going to be in dangerous situations, first of all, here's a PSA: okay. every single person on this planet needs to learn some form of martial arts, some form of self defense. Know how to take care right. of yourself. Take care of yourself in a dangerous situation, especially well, if you are a spy. She's not handle herself. Ugh. She's not handle herself. We saw that at the beginning of the movie. She's not to handle herself. But also, she—they weren't training her to do any of that. That was not. That was not the purpose of her school of her training. It wasn't to be a super spy. Yeah, that was on purpose. And again, she was never in any real dangerous situations from anyone she was trying to seduce. Yeah. That never happened. Yeah, it never happens in the film. Someone she tries to do is a danger to her. Yeah. All right. Fair. Fair enough. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> there are just things that that did not make sense to me. But. Uh. Yeah. So definitely check out the links for both of those movies in the show notes below to wrap up the episode. Since the Oscars are just in a couple days, uh, from the date that we are recording this on Sunday night, and I I am excited but also concerned about the Oscars mainly because I think as much progress as, as people of color and as women have made in the past couple years, I still do not really get a bead on the Academy and kind of how, how things are going to shake down this year. What are some of your general thoughts for this year's Oscars? I think there'll be a lot of surprises. I think it's kind of up in the air. There Mm -hmm. aren't, there isn't like a movie that seems like a juggernaut like last year where it was like La La Land or Moonlight. There's right. that. I mean, it, it's Get Out maybe, but Get Out is an is an indie horror film, mm-hmm. and you know that's I I don't I, I wanted to see it do well, but it's that's going to be you know difficult when it gets to the bigger categories. I can see it maybe taking a screenwriting nod or yeah, yeah I could see that. You know, when it gets to best actor, best director, best film, it's going to be tougher because it's just not the traditional Oscar type of film. Mm-hmm. Horror, horror has always been traditionally shunned by the Academy. Oh, and, for sure. You know, so yeah, but okay. we'll see. I mean, it's it's 
the political environment and what's happening, you know, in Hollywood and around Hollywood and around the world is definitely going to have some sort of shape into what's happening this week, next weekend. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And there definitely, there are a lot of things that could happen that would break a bunch of records. I mean, last episode when I had seven Okima gun on the show and we talked about the famous black female firsts, both in the Academy and with the golden globes, And I talked about how it is crazy that in 2018 that we're still being like, oh, Jordan Peele could be the first black director to do this and this. He could be the first black actor like that. It is just so insane to me that it has taken this long for some of these accolades to be there. So we will see uh, with this year. I think that, yeah, like you said, there are going to be some surprises but i think with best picture it is kind of a three horse race and to me those three horses are dunkirk shape of water and three billboards i i think those are the only three that really stand a chance not the post no <laughs> not get out not for best picture La- I- lady l- listen i got lady Bird's a dark horse for best picture Lady Bird would be great. I loved Lady Bird way more than I thought I would. Uh, But yeah, I think that with Get Out, I agree with you that I think with screenplay, you know, it will get some love in those type of categories. But best picture, best director, as much as I would love to see it happen, I just, yeah, I I don't see it happening. (laughs) Uh, Cinematography is another one where that could be a huge record. Rachel Morrison is nominated for Best Cinematography for Mudbound. She is the first woman nominated for Best Cinematography. How? Yeah, who else, who else in that category? Ugh, Roger Deakins for Blade Runner 2049. Uh, yeah, he's going to win. <laughs> Bruno De- Delbonel for Darkest Hour. Hoyt yeah, Van Hoytema for Dunkirk. And Dan Lawson for Shape of Water. Yeah, Deakins is going to win for yeah, Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade Runner is, is going to take that category. Uh... Best makeup and hairstyling is only a three-person race. Darkest Hour, Victorian, Abdul, and Wonder. Darkest Hour is winning that hands down. As much as Wonder, they did some incredible makeup with the young actor's face and the prosthetics. With Darkest Hour, it is not only the prosthetics for Gary Oldman to be Winston Churchill. It was his acting, his demeanor. That, oh gosh, like that was incredible. So that one, do you think Baby Driver is going to win anything? Uh, maybe sound design, sound mixing. Yeah, because it is up for best sound editing and sound no, mixing. Sound, yeah, sound editing, yeah. It was good. That one that was one of the standout things of the film. Yeah, I think the sound mixing, uh, one of the things I talked about on a past episode, there's a behind the scenes uh, clip of the making of Baby Driver. They were editing the movie as they were shooting it. And so you can actually watch his process as they're shooting a scene, cutting it, putting it on like that is incredible. So it is not something where they film for three months or two months, get back to the studio, then decide if they need reshoots. They were doing that on the fly. So, yeah, I think technically, yeah, Baby Driver, I mean, for sound mixing, that could work. But I just feel like with so many of those ones, Blade Runner is going to win a ton yeah, it's going to probably win a lot of technical awards. Yeah. Uh, my pick for best original song, 
this is tough because part of it, my heart wants remember me from Coco because Coco is just a heartbreaking and beautiful film. <laughs> but I think this is me from greatest showman is, is going to take that one. Yeah. I mean, it is pa- Pasek and Paul again, just like La La Land from last year. But, uh, yeah, trying to think of other interesting ones that we could kind of see best animated film. I really want Coco to win. I don't know how Coco doesn't win. Yeah. I mean, if the boss baby, I know we have one person in our critics group who liked boss baby and also captain underpants three more. It was good. Yeah. But he liked it more than Coco. Oh, that's different. (laughs) Exactly. So I was like, "Mm, not sure about that. Um, but yeah, best original score. I definitely want Johnny Greenwood to win for Phantom Thread, even though Phantom Thread is not a favorite movie of mine. The music was phenomenal. I like I like the Dunkirk score a lot. Yeah, Dunkirk score was solid, and I think Dunkirk again is going to win a few. I mean, it is Hans Zimmer. Does he need more? No. <laughs> he has he has a few. But yeah, so we will we will see kind of what happens with this year's Oscars there on Sunday. Uh, this coming Sunday. Well, who do you, who do you think wins Best Actress? Ooh, Best Actress. So the nominees are Sally Hawkins for Shape of Water, Frances McDormand, Three Billboards, Margot Robbie, no chance, uh, for Itania, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep. The Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress are brutal this year. They're brutal every year. Well, true. Um, first of all, Margot Margot Robbie, no chance. Meryl Streep. She, she was, was probably my favorite out of the bunch. Was Margot really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sally Hawkins. Yeah, she has a chance, but I would rather not. Meryl Streep, of course, has a chance because she could do a Subaru commercial and get nominated. My pick. What I think that either Saoirse Ronan or Frances McDormand. I think it's Frances McDormand wins. Yeah, which would be her second. Uh, that would be pretty awesome. I love. <laughs> I just want to see her win to see what speech she gives. Because Frances McDormand, oh my gosh, does not give a F if we're using text. Like, I just, um, I love who, that. Who's up, for, who's up for Best Supporting Actress? Best Supporting Actress is Mary J. Blige for Mudbound. Unfortunately, she has no chance. Allison Janney for I, Tanya, Leslie Manville, Phantom Thread, Lloyd Metcalf, Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer for Shape of Water. First of uh, all, Octavia Spencer, yeah, Octavia Spencer, get out of there. I, I just... As great as she is, and again, we talked about this last episode, there are there are other roles that she could be playing and not caretakers and kind of the mammy archetype. And I just, you do not always have to play a maid. So uh, Mary J. Blige and Octavia Spencer, unfortunately, do not really have a chance. Uh, I think Allison Janney. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that one is is tough to beat. I love Leslie Manville, though, in Phantom Thread. She was my favorite part of that movie. Yeah. And Lloyd Metcalf. Did not see Phantom Thread. Oh, you have not seen it? Yeah. Yeah. On purpose. I mean, it, it was boring, but the two women in the movie outshine Daniel Day Lewis in every scene. Right. Um, so, so, you think Daniel Day Lewis wins for Best Actor? Oh, I hope not. I really, really hope not. Uh, best Actor, Denzel Washington needs to get out of there. Roman J. Israel sucked. It was just, it was such a safe and dumb movie, and I have no idea why he is nominated like it was just he was great of course because he is always great but the movie was just safe and boring 
Uh, so best actor oof, of this group, it is basically between Gary Oldman and Daniel Day-Lewis. As much as Daniel Kaluuya would be great, Timothy Chalamet, I don't think he has a chance. Um, yeah, what do you think? Uh, yeah, probably Gary Oldman. I thought, you know, I really would hope Daniel Kaluuya wins. I thought he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So, uh, yeah. Support, who's, who's the supporting actor? Who's that? Who's supporting that supporting actor? Willem Dafoe for Florida Project, Woody Harrelson in Three Billboards, Richard uh, Jenkins, Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer, All the Money in the World, Get Out of There, No Chance, Sam Rockwell, Three Billboards. Sam Rockwell wins. Sam Rock, yeah. Sam, I think Sam Rockwell has taken that one, which is great. I think that he deserves some credit because he is somebody who is pretty much always solid and never really gets the recognition he deserves. Yeah, he, and he was really good in that role. Like, I hated him. Oh, yeah. But that was the. Look, I hate I think, that guy. But that, that means it worked. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, any other categories you want to go over? Uh, that's uh, that's Ooh, it. Uh, costume design. How could I forget oh, costume God. design? So, costume design. <laughs> you have Beauty and the Beast, Darkest Hour, Phantom Thread, Shape of Water, and Victorian Abdul. Beauty and the Beast. It, it basically is between Beauty and the Beast and Phantom Thread. I say that because Beauty and the Beast has the period pieces that were phenomenal absolutely incredible but some of those were cgi the stuff you see with the beast so i think they're going to knock that one phantom thread is essentially just a showcase for costumes like all it is there is a there's a uh fashion show within the movie where all they're doing is showcasing the dresses that were made yeah so i think phantom thread wins that but i would like beauty and the beast too Mm -hmm. uh but yeah Best makeup. We already talked about that. Uh, film editing is another one where Baby Driver, if people Dun- understand. Dunkirk wins. Yeah, I know. But if people understand the process that they use to edit that film, Baby Driver, <laughs> I wish it could get more attention there. But yeah, it, it is going to be Dunkirk. As much as I liked I, Tanya kind of going back yeah. and forth between the interviews and the use of the archival footage, yeah, it does not stand a chance. So, Cool. Uh, all right. So that about wraps it up for the show. We talked about the future of black Hollywood and named some great actors and actresses and producers and creators. I will put links to all of those in the show notes below. We talked about annihilation, which we both gave a good to. It is a cerebral visceral sci-fi film, uh, that is worth seeing red sparrow. We were split on (laughs) Tim gave it a good, I gave it a bad. I thought it was just kind of brutal bland and boring um but yeah uh that is, that is okay we can have a difference of opinion and then we talked a little bit about the oscars uh some upcoming things for you tim what you got going on uh not a whole lot uh might be doing interviews in a couple next week for i am simon is that the movie called love simon yeah uh-huh yeah love simon yeah um, that's it some reviews coming up so yeah okay Nice. Uh, a couple big things to to talk about uh, with, as far as upcoming things. Uh, first of all, a, a throwback, because I think I forgot to mention it on last week's episode, but definitely t- check out Northwest Nerd. Tim and I were guests on their last episode uh, with Black Panther Roundtable discussions. So that was pretty cool. Uh, the contest that is going on on Facebook right now. So Facebook.com slash About to Review. Enter to win your chance. Enter to win your chance. Enter to 
Enter your chance to win. Sheesh. <laughs> enter, chance to win. enter for your chance to win a copy of DK Books' uh, new book, Black Panther, The Ultimate Guide. It is phenomenal. Also, two big things that are upcoming. One, Emerald City Comic Con, but bigger than Emerald City Comic Con. For the first time, the collaboration between the About to Review podcast and the Curly Nerd podcast with Damien and Jess, all four of us are coming to the About to Review studio for the first time. We have literally done every other configuration of that, and that all four of us have never been recording in the same room at the same time. Yeah, should be fun. I'm excited. It'll be good to see. I haven't seen. I actually haven't seen Jessica in a while, so it'll be good to see her and, and talk and talk movies and hang out. So I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so that should be good. Uh, we're doing an episode of of about to review. We're doing a couple episodes, I think, of Curly Nerd. So definitely look forward to those next week. I'm excited because I mean, Tim and I, of course, those are are really good friends. They have an awesome show, and to get the chance to actually like, hang out all four of us at the same time. Is great because like i said three of us have hung out in different places and not all four of us at one time so that is going to be great uh and also because of you tim i want to give a couple people some shout outs based on your recommendation of like i say when new episodes come out and i have some listeners i hate calling people fans because it makes me feel weird so i have listeners who will live tweet me or send me emails or text as they're listening uh, and I love that. And it is flattering. And so I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Lisa, Era, and Melissa. The three of them frequently hit me up during episodes. And I can always tell what part of the episode they're in by what they're texting me. So huge shout out to them. Thank thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, it is humbling. Every time a random person hits me up on Twitter or sends me a message, uh, Tim and I each got an email last week after our appearance on Northwest nerd, you know, from another podcast being like, Hey, we heard you guys there. It would be great to do a collaboration. Always humbling. So thank you everybody for, for your support. Um, and I did a weird thing that I talked to Tim about and Damien and Jess. Basically, if you go on amazon.com, uh, I put together a wish list of just some random things where if you want to support the show, you can go on Amazon, search for about to review, and there's a wish list or a support the about to review podcast list of some random stuff there. If you want to support the show that way, great. Uh, you can also go to threadless.com slash about to review or about to slash threadless and buy a t-shirt. So those are ways to support the show, but also every tweet matters. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like people actually are listening, which is weird. <laughs> So, uh, Tim, speaking of social media and everything, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at thepeoplescriticblog.com. They can find me at the People's Critic on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, engage, support, talk, talk movies, ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you agree, disagree, have a funny thought, um, yeah, feel free to hit me up. I'm, I'm always down to talk about movies, old movies, new movies, whatever. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, and for this show, you can find it on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.com slash About to Review, About to Review.com for links to all of the show notes and the guests and the people that we talked about and the movies that we talk about. That is the best place to get them. Thank you, everybody, for listening. 
Uh, make sure to like, follow, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. So Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everything else out there. So for this episode, I have been joined by... Oh, it's Tim, the People's Critic. <laughs> and I have been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To get ourselves a treat.